Hey listeners, my name is Elisha, the founder of the Witnesses Podcast. It's so beautiful to have you listening to our podcast. And I want you to know something that that means a whole lot to me. Thank you for tuning in. And one thing I love to tell all of our listeners is, it's not just about you listening, but listening to understand. Understanding is the most important thing. So important. So, you have to listen, learn, and practice. Thank you so very much and happy listening. Hi, Suzanne. It's nice to have you on the show. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. That's great. You know, I say this so often. The essence of this show is to invite um, triumphant guests guests who have passed through one challenges or another and they came out of it triumphantly because we believe that in our audience there might be someone who is stuck up in that situation um, where our audience our guest came out of triumphantly so Suzanne, within the next 20 minutes, let us get started with your story. Talk to us about your story, the challenges, and how you came out of it triumphantly. Let's get started. Sure. (laughs) All right. Well, um, I, so back in 1985, I was 17 years old. My dad was a Los Angeles police detective. He was working on um, a case and he had um, he had testified that morning of Halloween of 1985. And um, as he went to go pick up my brother um, from school, after he had testified in this case. Now understand this uh, perpetrator was out on bail during his trial. So it gave him the opportunity to lay in wait at my brother's school. Um, And he ambushed my dad and my dad was able to save my brother's life. He was, my brother was six at the time. Um, by telling him to duck down in the truck, he knew it was coming and he was ambushed and murdered right there at the school. And then I was home at the time getting ready to go to a Halloween party. Um, my mom was just got home from work and she was getting her costume off from, uh, the day when the phone rang and since I was a teenager, I thought, well, nobody's calling my parents. It's got to be for me. So I ran to the phone and unfortunately it wasn't for me. It was a lady from my brother's school. And all she said to me was there was a drive-by shooting and my dad was involved. So I quickly handed the phone to my mom And I watched her talk to this lady. I could kind of hear a little bit of the conversation. But what was happening is, um, you know, I was watching my mom's body language. And I knew it was bad. Um, 
She got off the phone. She turned to me and said, we're going to the school. Neither, neither one of us knew what we were about to experience. experience. Hmm. It was about six minutes, six, seven minutes to get to from my home to the school. And we didn't say anything to each other the whole way. Um, we got there and the way the school is set up, the uh, kids are picked up on the backside of the school, but the parking lot is kind of in the middle of the school. So we parked in the parking lot and we started walking towards the back of the school. And that's when I witnessed an ambulance with its lights on. Um, police officers were walking around and they were in tears. And we caught glimpse of my dad's truck. So both my mom and I started to run towards the truck. Yeah. And that's when an officer grabbed my mom's arm because as we rounded the corner is when we witnessed his body in the aftermath. And, uh, I stood there. My mom yeah. was screaming. She dropped to her knees and the police officer was trying to hold her back. And part of me felt like I saw the ambulance and I couldn't understand why they weren't helping him. Mm. It was not compute. It was not, uh, my brain was not functioning. It was not telling me that yeah. what I was seeing was my dad's, dead body like i i had no idea like um in the shock of it all um we were taken to an office and my mom i didn't know where my brother was i didn't know if he was hurt no one was telling me anything i my mom got pushed you know pulled aside uh the detectives wanted to talk to her and so I sat in the office by myself and I could hear two women speaking and they worked at the school. And the one woman said to the other one that my dad uh, was, was deceased. And it was like my whole life shattered, like my, my brain just shattered and everything in my being wanted to run. Like I wanted to physically run out of there and just not come back, but my legs weren't working and I was frozen, literally frozen in the chair. And then, so my mom came to me and she said, I'm sending you with a neighbor. And even though I wanted to leave, I still wanted to be with my family unit. You know, I, I, I wanted to know what my brother was, or I wanted to be with him and her. And that's not what I got. And so I had to navigate all of these feelings. And as a teenager, I had no idea. Hmm. Um, in the 80s, there were no resources. 
there were no there was no talk about mental health there was no talk about PTSD there was no talk about any of that so i i had no idea what was happening to me hmm. and um i had no adult you know yeah especially my mom giving me a sense of i'm not alone um i went with the neighbor and she's a beautiful human being you know and she she tried she was in shock herself yeah um she'd known my mom and dad for years and this was hard on her as well and so um I, I, I just, I tried to do the best that I could. And then I had a boyfriend at the time who is now my husband, but he was 19 and we had only been dating three months. Um, and I had to give him this news. He came to the neighbor's house thinking that my dad was in the hospital and I couldn't spit out the words that he was gone because then it was real. And, and so I, uh, but when he did come to the neighbor's house, I, I had to tell him I, and it's the first time, you know, and, and looking back, it's the first time I've ever seen my husband, like literally drop to his knees. Um, he was devastated just as much as I was dev devastated. And he only knew my dad for three months. Um, so as you can imagine, like after that, um, the media, you know, we were bombarded by media. Uh, law enforcement was everywhere uh, on my street, at my home for six days. They didn't find they didn't find the men involved for six days. And so we had constant surveillance in our house and I had bodyguards if I had to go anywhere. And it was just a life that I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, and never, you know, not in my Im imagination did I think that that would be my life. And I had a normal teenage life before this. And so um I I I went through some serious fluctuations of different mental emotions and so a lot of the time I was in a deep depression. I I didn't know how I was going to get up every day. I, I lived in a fog, you know, anyone who experiences grief will tell you that it's like living in a fog and moving through life, but you're really not living. Um, I, I had the severe depression. I had back, I mean, in hindsight, I had suicidal ideation I wanted to be with my dad and it was a constant every day thinking that um I didn't sleep and I had such my my sense of security was gone because my dad was my protector 
and now he's gone. And somebody came into our world and take and took him out. And, you know, so there was a lot of questions in my head around that. Um, and then about a month after my dad was killed, LAPD came to us and said, we think you should seek therapy and we'll pay for it, you know, but we feel like each one of you, my mom, my brother and myself. And, you know, back then I thought if you had to go see a therapist, you must be crazy. I mean, that's, that was my teenage brain. <laughs> so, uh, I did, I went to therapist because that's, that's what the adults were telling me to do. So I just followed the rules and I thought, well, okay, maybe I feel so awful. Maybe this person will fix me. And what happened was, and, and in hindsight, I feel like um, he wasn't educated enough to handle the amount of trauma. So he kept my therapy sessions very shallow. It was always about my, uh, my mother and I's relationship, my brother and I's relationship, my boyfriend and school. And not one time during the time that I saw him, did he even ask me how the night my dad was killed affected me. And I, being a kid myself had no idea how to verbalize what was happening in my brain, in my mind. And I went through this for an entire year. Every day, every week I saw this man and the same conversations were over and over and over. And I just, I, I really was struggling. I was still like a mess. But after a year, he looked at me and said, you're a well-rounded young lady and you're going to be fine for the rest of your life. I don't need to see you anymore. And I, I was like, wait, what? I mean, I'm a mess. Like, <laughs> I still have all this stuff. <laughs> so that then my mindset was like, okay, I must be broken and crazy and not even a professional can help me. So I'm just going to live with this for the rest of my life. Um, I'm going to have to figure it out. I'm going to have to, I, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to have to figure this out myself. 14 years I did that. 14 years I lived in fight or flight and sometimes freeze uh, mode. And it affected everything around me. Uh, and I didn't realize it, you know, because when you are hurting and you're not working those things out, um, it shows up in behaviors. It shows up in trust issues. It shows up in fear of everything. Um, and there's just so much of that. 
And if you don't work through that, then it really takes a toll. And you're not able to be, you're not able to give 100% of yourself. So, you know, you hear that, that concept of, you know, this hole will never be filled because you've had this loss. And I said it myself, but that's not true because when you start to heal, that hole becomes love for yourself and that's how you fill it. Mm. Yes, you will always, always, I will always miss my dad every single day. But I feel like, you know, my experience with that therapist, as negative as it was, it still made me learn things about myself down, later down the road. And I didn't really, so 14 years later, I'm now living in Colorado. I'm married to that boyfriend that was with me. I'm a mother of two. And two years into living here in Colorado, Columbine shootings happened. And I was working as a hairdresser at the time. Yeah. I had uh, put my client under a dryer, went to the back, turned on the TV in our break room, and all the coverage was on. And I stood there and I watched the coverage with my coworkers, except for, for me, I was having flashbacks of the night my dad was killed. I, yeah, I, I was having flashbacks. I was, I was sweating. I turned white as a ghost. I was clammy. I mean, I did not understand what the heck was happening to me. My coworkers had no idea what my story was, so they were confused, and they kept thinking that I had kids there, or I lived in the neighborhood, or something like that for me to have such a visceral reaction, and I couldn't explain it, because remember, I was told I was going to be fine for the rest of my life, so... For two days, I all of those emotions, all of those things came flooding back. The anxieties, the depression, the suicidal ideation, it all came back. And I started to spiral. And what happened next was my husband met me at the door one day and he said, you have two choices. You either get help or I'm putting you in a hospital. And I said, you know what? I'm terrified of leaving my, my kids. So I, I'll go get help. And I went and saw a doctor and a doctor put me on antidepressants, you know, because that's what they do. They put you on drugs, um, which is a bandaid, you know, the real work has to come. Right. So we did the we did that but then he also said you need to seek a therapist <laughs> and i thought wait a minute <laughs> 
14 years ago, it didn't help me. <laughs> well, what do you mean? <laughs> um, and so I, I, I did. I went and saw a therapist. And thank God I did because this one was female and she specialized in PTSD and she specialized in severe trauma. So she was the perfect person for me to see. And I sat and I gave her, in our first session, I gave her a synopsis, five minutes, what I went through as a teenager and what I was currently dealing with. And she looked at me and said, everything that you have been through and dealt with since you were 17 years old is 100% normal because you have PTSD. And I got really confused because I thought, wait a minute, I didn't go to war. I'm not in the military. I'm not a first responder. <laughs> and she said, well, she said, anyone, anyone who has experienced a trauma can have PTSD. And what you need to know is that PTSD isn't something that goes away. You manage it. You learn to manage it through work. And I was shocked. I was elated because now, one, I had answers to all the stuff that I'd been dealing with. And I had someone that was going to be able to come alongside me on this journey and guide me through everything. Um, and it was, it was like, I describe it like the sky opened up and rainbows shot out because I finally had answers. I finally knew that healing was going to come. But I knew also that I had to do the work in order to make that happen. So I, you know, I, I was blessed in that way. And I, you know, I, I have done all different types of modalities to move through the things that each, the, the anxiety, the depression, the suicidal ideation. Um, and you know, anything from journaling, that was the first thing she had me do. And as wishy-washy or airy-fairy as it sounds to some people, um, mm -hmm. journaling is powerful. Journaling is the first thing that happens to reprogram your brain a bit. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's different forms of journaling, you know, it's not just writing. Yeah. Um, there's music, yeah. there's art, um, you know, people journal in different ways, whether they acknowledge it or not. Um, artists, especially, you know, <laughs> the best songs are about heartbreak and loss and <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. It, and that's journaling for that artist. Mm -hmm. um, so mine was writing. 
And that was the first little snippet of what I was capable of Mm. in the writing world. Um, I wrote my book when I was 50 years old. Uh, It took me four and a half years to write it. Oh, really? Hello? (laughs) Are you still there? That's really, really, really good to know about. Are you still there? Hello? Hello? Are you still there? Hello? Oops, we lost Suzanne over there, and that was getting really interesting. Well, she was about to talk about a book, you know, if you fall into this category, you know, you're suffering from childhood trauma, you really need to get that book. Okay, so a link to the book is going to be posted in the description section of this podcast. Try to hit the link and go get the book. Thank you so very much for listening. God bless you. That was a great one, right? (laughs) I know, right? Thank you so very much for listening to that podcast. It means a whole lot to us. I must confess, it do means a whole lot to us. Okay, have a request to make. Yeah, I want to ask you for a favor. Can you drop a review and rate us on Apple Podcast? That's going to make us know how we are blessing you. And that's going to make us understand how else we can improve to continually impact knowledge to you and others. Thank you so very much for listening and God bless you. Shalom.